Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I can't tell you how excited that I am to be here uh, to preach to you this morning. Um, this feels like home. I feel like I'm back home. I feel like I'm back talking to the people that I love the very most. So appreciate you being here and for Brother Matt for giving me the opportunity to, to preach this morning. And so we're going to be continuing through... Um, through the sermon series through Genesis. So if you will, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. And we're going to read through chapter, or through verse 21. This is the word of the Lord. It says, The Lord came to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time that God had told him. Abraham named his son, who was born to him, the one that Sarah born to him, Isaac. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham held a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son mocking the one that Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham. So she said to Abraham, Drive out this slave with her son, for the son of this slave will not be a co-heir with my son Isaac. This was very distressing to Abraham because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed about the boy and about your slave. Whatever, whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her. Because your offspring will be traced through Isaac, and I will also make a nation of the slave's son because he is as your offspring. Early in the morning, Abraham got up, took bread and a water skin, put them on Hagar's shoulders, and sent her and the boy away. She left and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes and went and sat at a distance, about a bow shot of, uh, away. For she said, I can't bear to watch the boy die. While she sat at a distance, she wept loudly. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid. For God has heard the boy crying from the place where he is. Get up, help the boy up, grasp his hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well. So she went and filled the water skin and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew, and he settled in the wilderness and became an archer. He settled in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Now I want to show you three pictures of people. And I want you to tell me what's the common thread between all three of these people. Carrie, show the first picture. Who is this? Betty White. Okay, so picture number two. Who is this? Queen Elizabeth. Third? 
Bob Barker. Okay, so we got three people. What's the common theme? They're old. They're old. If you, th- if you said that they're old, you're right. Now, do you know how old that they are? Or I guess in Bob Barker's case, how old that he was. He was in his 90s. They're all in their 90s. Now, the reason I show that is because I want you to get a mental picture in your mind of what a 90-year-old woman looks like. Because we just read a story about Sarah, who at age 90 gave birth to a son. If Betty White were to come out tomorrow and say, I'm pregnant, like, that's making People magazine, like, she's not going to be remembered for Golden Girls anymore. I mean, we're talking, she's going to be remembered as the 90-year-old woman who gave birth. So, that is an incredible part of what we, what we, we read here. This is a miracle. Now, let's face it. This story is a bizarre story. And there are even a few other things that don't quite make sense. Think that Sarah wanted to send Hagar away because her son, Ishmael, was laughing at Isaac. Okay, what's the big deal? He's just laughing. So that's kind of odd. Okay, then God commands Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael away to the wilderness, send them out to the desert. God makes a well of water show up out of nowhere. And God blesses Ishmael with a nation and with skills despite his rebellion. So there are a couple of things in here that on first glance don't make a lot of sense. But this morning I want you to see how that all of these things can be explained by God's kindness that he shows to each one of the three main character sets. Now I'm calling them them character sets because you've got Sarah as one character... Abraham as, as, the, as the second, and the third is Ishmael and Hagar. So I'm going to combine those two. And I want you to see how God was kind to each three of these character sets through the lens of God's promises. We're going to see how God was kind to Sarah by being faithful to his promise. We're going to see how God was kind to Abraham by protecting the promised son. And then we'll see how God was kind to Hagar and Ishmael, though they rejected the promise. And as part of God's promise, I want you to see this morning how God's kindness forces tough decisions. It did for Sarah and Abraham and Ishmael and Hagar, and it will for us this morning. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to open our our hearts, open our minds and our ears so that we may be able to better understand God's word here in Genesis 21. God, I thank you for this time this morning. I ask just one thing. I ask that you would open our minds and our hearts and uh, that you would give us understanding. Lord, allow the words to come out of my mouth uh, that's directly from you, directly from your word. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. So as you've seen for a few weeks now, this tension's been building. There's been mega tension's been building since Genesis 12. When God delivers the promise to Abraham, calls him from his foreign land and says, you're going to have a son through Sarah. Now, it's been a while and that hasn't quite happened yet. So I want to go back just just to have a a refresher of what this promise is. And I refer back to the promise. What are we talking about? And that is in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. 
It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in the name uh, who dishonors you, I will, will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this was a promise made to Abraham, and, and we're trying to understand how this actually comes to fruition. Now, this covenant was made with Abraham, but God made it clear that it was also a covenant made with Sarah. She was implicated in this too. Though she was barren for all of her life, I can, I can find five different places between Genesis 12 and Genesis 21 where God says, Sarah specifically, she will be the one whom this promised son will come from. On five different cases, God confirmed to her over and over, you will be the person who, who my son, or who, who the, the son of the promise will come through. And but despite all of those, Sarah had a hard time believing God. He made all these grand promises, promised to be a blessing to the nations, to the world. But she hadn't seen them yet with her own eyes. So how was she to know that God would be trustworthy? Now, chapters back, you saw how that she was the mastermind behind a plot to force God to bless them sooner rather than later. She took matters into her own hands by letting her husband sleep with her slave in order to produce a son that hopefully, I mean, surely God would bless him, right? Like he's, I mean, he, he's, he's here. Surely God would, would bless him. And he's made all these promises. He said it's going to come through me. That seems to be a holdup. Can we just have it go through this son Ishmael. And then the promise to include Sarah as part of this was in peril yet again where Abraham about gave his wife Sarah away not once but twice. So this thing had several opportunities to get off the rails. So when we come to Genesis 21 and we read like the first two verses, I see caution tape I hear sirens, there's flashing lights. There is something here that the writer wants us to see. It says this, The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time that God had told him. Abraham named his son, who was born to him, the one Sarah born to him, Isaac. Over and over, there are several opportunities where this thing could have just crashed and burned, but it was God who brought it to fruition. And we see this over and over. As God had said, at the time that God had promised, it was God who brought his promise to pass. And that is in full display in these first two verses. Would God be trustworthy? Absolutely. God did what he said at the time he said that he, that he would do it. Would God bless Ishmael? Was he, I mean, we already have the, the son. God, would you just use him? No. No, absolutely not. Isaac was on the scene. He would be the one whom God would deliver the promises. And out of the kindness of God, not only did God make these promises to Abraham and to Sarah, 
but he also followed through with them. But I want you to see, not only did he follow through on his promises, he did so in a way that taught Abraham and Sarah about himself. You see, they not only got the promised son here in Genesis 21, they got God between those points. That's what's so amazing. Had God promised a son in Genesis 12 and Isaac had come in Genesis 13, they would have just gotten a son. But by bringing, but by bringing through the promise through a time of waiting, through those ten chapters, those nine chapters of hardship and struggle and trial, God taught them about himself. He taught them that he was faithful to provide, that he would comfort them in their sufferings, that he was merciful in their failures and his grace to them in their undeserving state. And then he gave them what he promised. And what you end up seeing, especially next week, you're going to see how Abraham and Sarah learned so much about God through this time of waiting that they were willing to give up the son that was promised to them to be obedient to God. Not only did they get the son, they also got God too. And Abraham and Sarah, they inherited the promises of God through faith in what God had promised. But we see in Romans 4, I think we see this in, in James we see that in order for a faith, the, the, the kind of faith that, that, that reaches out, grabs the promises of God, they have to experience God's kindness in the midst of waiting and hardship. You see, this, 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 this is a pattern in, in, in Scripture, that God makes a promise at the beginning. And then God fulfills the promise at the end. But in the middle... God reveals himself to his people through his comforting promise in the midst of, of perseverance through hardship. God cares not only about the ends, but also the, the means. And so as Christians, we find ourselves right now in the course of human history in the middle. I can point with my fingers to the promises of God where they find their beginning. To where Jesus makes promises to us. He promised that when he returns, he will not come as, as the lamb, but he will come as a lion who will judge mankind. He tells us this. But he also promises that if those who turn to him in faith and repentance will be saved from the coming wrath. These promises we can point to, we can read them. So we've got the beginning part. And we've seen over the course of human history, through the course of, of Scripture, we see that God is faithful to His promise. So I, I think the ends are well enough, I mean, they are secure enough, we can stake our lives on them. So what about the middle, where we find ourselves right now? Through the years of waiting. It's been 2,021 years of waiting feels like barrenness, feels like craziness. What is God's purpose for it? The evilness in the world, what do we do with it? God has a purpose for the middle and that purpose is revealing himself to us. Revealing himself to us in a way that we just can't help but glorify him. 
God wants us to see how his sovereignty has prevailed so that the gospel and the church has victory some 2,021 years later. God wants you to see how the message of salvation went from 12 men to all of you sitting right here, a butt in a chair. That's God's sovereignty. How would you see that unless there was the middle? He's revealing himself to us. He wants us to see that his love is so personal that people who are mangled, who are broken, who are at the point of death and suffering can proclaim the words, God has been faithful. How would we ever know that about God if we were not in the middle? He wants us to see his graciousness as he brings the most vile and sinful of them all to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. He wants you to see the boldness of a person filled with the Spirit as Christians around the world, their knees on, on, the, on the ground with a sword at their throat and they proclaim Jesus is Lord. How would we be able to understand the depth and the worth and the glory of God if it's not for the middle? And so we, guys, the end is coming and the end is sure. The promises will come to fulfillment. But I want you to see those promises come to fulfillment. They are great. We receive them with, with, with great thanksgiving, but it comes because we have gone through the middle. Let this serve as an invitation to faith in what God has planned for where we are right here and right now. As some of you it may be seen on Facebook, Marina and I, uh, we've gone through a miscarriage over the past few months. And so, though we were never promised a son like Abraham and Sarah were, we were, and at least we still are, facing at least a temporary reality of barrenness. And as a couple, we were faced with a decision. Do we trust in the sovereignty and the plans and the purposes of God, or we, do we resent Him from withholding a blessing from us? Do we have faith that God will be glorified through this season of hardship or do we engineer our, in our own minds ways to avoid all that God has planned for us? Marina and I trusted that, that, that the Lord would bring us through and that his purposes would prevail and I can stand as a testimony that we have experienced the kindness of the Lord. Thousands of people, literally thousands of people have interacted with, with posts on Facebook. Hundreds of people told us in person how much they, the, that they cared. Dozens of cards sent to our mailbox. Weeks of meals delivered to our doorstep. At one time, we had five bouquets of flowers in our house. Our friends setting up uh, trips that Marina and I could, could go on. That's, that's testimony to the kindness of God. The Lord promised that he would be faithful to us and provide comfort to us on earth in our troubles. And we, we, are, we have accepted that and received that. God has been faithful to us. And if he has been faithful in the small things, how much more will he be faithful in the big things? So next I want to turn our attention to Abraham. We'll see in Genesis 21 how God was kind to Abraham by protecting the promised son. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but Abraham found himself in a pickle. He was in a mess. 
because the two women in his life were fighting. That's problem, that's problem number one. You got two women. Uh, they're upset. That's problem. Well, the two women is problem number one. They're upset is problem number two. He had a case on his hands. So according to verse 8, Abraham is trying to throw a party to celebrate the birth of the promised son. He's been waiting so long for it. It finally came. Yet the women are fighting because Ishmael, Hagar's son, was laughing and making fun of Isaac, Sarah's son. As my mom would say, the mama bear claws came out in full force. Somebody's kid is making fun of somebody else's kid and the mamas are upset. Mamas, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Sarah is ready to to throw Hagar out of the house. She already tried to once earlier, but Hagar was told to to come back in. But this time, she has had it. She has got to be sent away. Get out of the house. So what does Abraham do? He's faced with a choice. We see here in verse 10. So she said to Abraham, "'Cast out this slave woman with her son.'" For the son of this slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. For whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac your offspring shall be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So God tells Abraham three main things here. First, God tells Abraham, do not be displeased. Don't be upset, disappointed, angry. Now, that implies that Abraham was disappointed, upset, and angry. And it says that he was on account of his son. Now, we're talking about two different sons here. So what is he talking about? Now, I take this to to mean, I, I think most commentators do, that Abraham... Was, was displeased on account of his son Ishmael. I think that Abraham was distraught at, the, the, at, at Sarah's, um, uh, the, at her thought that Ishmael should be sent away. According to Genesis 16, 16, Ishmael was born to Abraham at 86 years old. Isaac was born at 100. How old was Ishmael? 14. Uh, there you go. Math is helpful. So he's 14 years old. Now, in those days, we think of, of a boy turning into a man at around 18. In those days, it was much earlier. So if he's 14, that's about the age that a boy turns into a man. So Abraham has a son who is close to already being a man and close to already having children to care I mean God you promised that I would have a son who would then have a son and then it grows into this big nation I've already got a son who's right there at childbearing age could we not just use him he's already further along in the process maybe God would bless Ishmael surely he would now we see here a little bit and God also told Abraham, that Ishmael was a troublemaker. God said that at his birth, Ishmael would be a wild donkey of a man, that his hand would be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. God told them this. And here we see him causing trouble. 
But despite all of that, Abraham loved his son. I think some parents can identify with that. You love your son regardless of the choices that they make. But here's where it gets hard. The second thing that God tells Abraham is that Sarah is right and that Ishmael must be sent away. Why? Why must he? I mean, can't they just go to the neighbor's house or can't they just somehow make it work? Why did God tell Abraham he must go away? And it's because God had decreed that the promised nation who would be a blessing to the nations must come through Isaac and having Ishmael under the same roof would be a hindrance to what God wanted to do with Isaac and his descendants. I want you to think about it. Go back about 17 chapters. Cain killed Abel because God accepted uh, the, the one and not the other. And so here, who's to say that, that Ishmael wouldn't kill Isaac because God accepted one and not the other? Sarah recognized that God was faithful to provide Isaac, and, and as a part of that, God would protect him. But that didn't mean that they shouldn't take practical steps to make sure that Isaac would be safe. God agreed with her. And showed his kindness to Abraham by commanding him to send Ishmael away and protect the promise. Now you may be asking, now Mason, that's, that's a pretty far jump. Where are you getting that? And I'd point you to Galatians 4. I think Paul gives a very strong commentary on how to understand Genesis 21. You see, Abraham lived in a divided house. Two different approaches to God living under one roof. On one side of the house, you have Sarah and you have Isaac representing what happens when you trust in the promise of God. And on the other side of the house, you have Hagar and Ishmael representing what happens when you don't trust the promises of God and pursue what you think is in your own best interest. It's two different natures. It's two different lords And they can't exist under the same roof. They just can't. Anytime this dichotomy is present, conflict is bound to happen. Paul says in Galatians 4 verse 29, But just then as the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so it is now. Whether in your own home or in your own heart, you know that these two sides cannot peacefully exist. Conflict always happens, and ultimately, one side wins. So what does Paul say that we must do when we find ourselves caught in the middle of a decision whether to personally give in to the flesh or the Spirit? And in Galatians 4, verse 30, he points to Genesis 21. Genesis 4, or, uh, Galatians 4, verse 30 says this. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the sl- son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. God was kind to Abraham because he told him the truth. Because Ishmael was born according to the flesh, he would wreak havoc and threaten Abraham, his household, and the promise of a nation that would be a blessing to the entire world. 
That blessing was way too precious to play around with. And Abraham faced a choice. Either provide shelter for the son of evil or provide protection for the son of the promise. Abraham protected the son of the promise and as a result, God brought forth his son born of a descendant of Isaac to be a blessing to the world, Jesus Christ who saved us from our sins. God told Abraham to cast out the threat that would threaten the promise of Jesus and he did and as a result, the world has a savior. Paul presents us with a choice as well. With the promises of God in full view, do we make room in our hearts for the desires of the flesh or do we cast it out and give our whole heart to the indwelling Holy Spirit? We receive God's promises through faith and repentance, but we respond to God's promises through repentance and, and, and obedience. If by faith our words we proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then repentance with our actions is proclaiming that anything else is the wrong way, the licentious lie, and deserving of definite death. Has this week felt like a war between the flesh and the spirit under one roof, in one heart, within your own soul? This morning, I want you to hear God clearly, through his word, say this, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. The third thing that God tells Abraham, which leads us to look at God's kindness to Ishmael and Hagar, is that God says he will make Ishmael's descendants into a nation. Now, that's, that's very generous of God. Now, this, this isn't the first time that God said that he would do this. God told him he would do this in Genesis 17, verse 20. So Genesis 17, verse 20 reads this. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him greatly. He will father 12 tribal leaders and I will make him into a great nation. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. All right, so this is kind of odd. God's providing, you know, the whole thrust of this is that he's providing for this promised nation, the nation of Israel, who would later come. But he's, he's, he's pushing towards his promise, but then God tells, tells us here, in Genesis 17, and then in Genesis 21, that yes, I'm doing this great thing, but for your other son, I'm still going to give him a nation. Now, it's not going to be like the other son it, 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 it won't but nonetheless because of you Abraham I will I will, will, will bless him and give him 12 12 sons 12 tribal leaders make him into a great nation and so God confirms this to Abraham and he in verse 13 and also to Hagar in Genesis 21 verse 18 and the ver- and, and, and this promise to Hagar comes when the both of them, Hagar and Ishmael, are on the brink of death. It was so bad that the mother brought her son, put him underneath a bush, and went far away because she couldn't stand the thought of her son 
dying a slow and painful death. She couldn't watch it. She sat him underneath this bush and watched from a distance. It was a dire situation. And in that moment, God comes to Hagar and says, Hey, you see him way, way over there. Not only is he going to live, but I'm going to make him into a father of a nation. Okay, God, so you're not only going to provide right here, right now, but you're providing long term. That's a big, that, that's a big promise. And not only that, here and now, you guys are thirsty, about to die of dehydration. Why don't you go fill your, your wineskins up at this well here? God, why? Like, man, that's unprecedented kindness that God is showing them. That God is showing Hagar and Ishmael who are not the children of the promise. It kind of seems a little odd. Why would God do this? That's just God. That's the graciousness of God. That's the kindness of God. That's the only answer I have. And it's, that's the same kindness that at one time you were and still are a recipient of. The kindness doesn't make sense. That's God who is kind to all. God is kind even to those who show no reverence for him. This is called common grace. That is that God gives good things to everyone on earth, believers or non-believers. It doesn't matter. God is kind to all. He gives sunshine to the righteous and the unrighteous. He gives knowledge of his creation to all kinds of engineers and doctors. I mean, in the science realm, what is that? That's a study of what God has made. God gives knowledge to them. Now, they get it wrong sometimes. But it's a study of what God has made. He gives knowledge about those things to everyone. He gives artists the ability to recreate his own landscapes. He gives them that. That is a good thing, even to those who don't care about him. He gives babies to parents who are far from him. Heck, he even lets sinners live. You realize that sins are, are deserving of immediate death. I mean, on the spot. But yet, out of the kindness of God, he gives them life, even though he knows that they will never come to faith and, and re repentance. He's still kind to them. That is who God is. Why is he kind to unrepentant sinners? I have three reasons. The first is that God is kind to unrepentant sinners to demonstrate his goodness and his mercy. Luke 6.35 says, But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the, of the Most High. Why? Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's just who he is. God's mercy and goodness is best highlighted when he is kind to people who revile him. Second, God's kindness displays his justice. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. 
You see, God's kindness, if not responded to with, re- with re- repentance, ends up being another piece of evidence convicting those who willfully reject Him. And lastly, God's kindness to unrepentant sinners provides them continuous opportunities to repent and believe in Him. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You see, Hagar and Ishmael were faced with a choice. Though being outside of the promise, they still knew God. Would they still praise and honor Him? Now, Hagar had clearly seen the glory of God. First of all, right in front of her face, she sees how God gave a birth to a baby born of a woman who was on Medicare. I mean, that, is a, that, that brings glory to God that He would perform those miracles. Even more than that, she must remember 14 years back when she was in the same wilderness, in the same situation, with the same dire outlook on life no hope and God spoke to her and comforted her in the wilderness so much so that he also provided a well and Hagar named this well um, well of the living one who saved me she named that well after what God had done to her in that same wilderness now she, 14 years later she finds herself in the same desert and she would rather let her son die than to call upon the name of the, of the, the Lord. Would they praise and honor God? I, I think another piece that we see here is that the, the last verse kind of shows us how they rode off into the sunset. It says, while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him in Egypt the idolatrous land of Egypt was where Hagar was from and it is where they returned they clearly rejected the kindness of God and returned to their life without his blessing now as I close I want to show you one last thing from this passage Bible scholars, I need you to answer me. I have a few questions for you. Who wrote this passage in Genesis? Moses, okay. Who was he writing to when he wrote it? The Israelites, okay. Where where were the Israelites when Moses wrote this? In the desert, right? So he he wrote this to them while they were in the, 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 the desert. What was their biggest complaint in the desert? No water, no food. And where did they want to go back to? So Moses stood in front of the Israelites in the desert. Them wanting to go back to Egypt. He read Genesis 21 to the children of the promise who they could all know. Yeah, my great-granddaddy, my great-granddaddy. Trace them all the way back to Isaac. He read this to them and presented them with a choice. 
either have faith in the promises of God, like your father Abraham and his mother Sarah, cast off your grumbling and pursue the land and the life that God had promised. Or doubt the promises of God, soil in your suffering, and go back to the ball and chain that was awaiting Hagar and Ishmael. It's a choice. I can hear Moses now. You, Israel, can trace your ancestry back to Isaac. You are, just based off of genetics, you are a child of the promise. You stand in the way of the promise of God. Are you going to act like it? So today, I stand before you reading Genesis 21, asking you, the church who can trace your faith back to the faith of Abraham through the promise of Isaac. Through the faith in Christ. You are children of the promise. You are included in the blessing of the nations. When, when, we, when we read in Genesis 12 that he will be a blessing to the nations... That's to the nations then. That's to the nations now. Through Jesus Christ, whom they all, all of these promises converge on him. And you, by placing your faith in him, you are a child of the promise. You are one of those very families that, that God told him about in Genesis 12. Are we going to act like it? Are we going to be like Abraham and Sarah having faith in God, persevering in the middle. We're going to be like Abraham and cast off the, the, the flesh, protecting the promise, protecting what God has, has already promised to us. May we, unlike Hagar and Ishmael, respond in praise to God's kindness on our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your promises. I thank you, Lord, for calling Abraham out, for calling Sarah out, and for making a promise to them. I thank you, God, that you not only give us what you have promised, but even how you give it to us gives us more than that. God, we get to see you in the middle. We get to see you and experience you before we really get to perceive everything that you've promised to us. God, we, we experience your kindness. We experience what you've promised to us in part, but we will experience in it in full. Lord, convict us. Show us how you have been kind to us. We are so blind Open our eyes to see your kindness. And God, may we respond in thanksgiving and in surrender of our lives. Thank you, Lord, for being kind to all. Thank you for being kind to us. And Lord, may we just respond to it with, with praise. For you are worthy of it all. And it's in your name I pray. 
and we won't have the praise band come up, I do want to remind you um, that this is, this is Palm Sunday. Um, next week is Easter. And uh, I know that there is a, a service on Friday. I wish I could be there for that, unfortunately. It's pretty far, far, uh, far away for us to, to, to come. Um, but this week, I want you to prepare your heart. Spend some time with the Lord this week as you remember his sacrifice. We're going to celebrate that on, on Sunday, but until then, I mean, he was the promised son, and he came, and he died, and he resurrected from the dead, victory over death. That is, I mean, you talk about a promise. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's the one that the promise was about. And so we're, we're celebrating him next week. So this week, spend time in prayer. Spend time reading. I mean, just read the, the, the Gospels. Read all four of them about that week, about Passion Week. And about how Christ willfully, lovingly laid down his life for us. And we'll celebrate that corporately um, on, on Sunday. Until then, let me read a benediction and then we... Uh, we'll be able, uh, then I will send you all out. This comes from Ephesians. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Be, uh, grace be with all who have underlying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You all are dismissed.